Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world, spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow Soul from BlakeRadio.com. This is Dr. Daniels, and welcome to Healing with Dr. Daniels. It is Tuesday, November 22nd, 2016, and two days to Thanksgiving. That means three days to Black Friday. And those of you who have been asking, yes, we will have a Black Friday special for Vitality Capsules. Unheard of. Free shipping. Yes, free shipping. So definitely go to VitalityCapsules.com, get your free updated report of the Candida Cleaner version 2.0 and enter your email address and that way you will receive notification of the Black Friday sale. Okay, today's topic is Celebrex Arthritis Drug Safety Study Surprises Heart Experts. I bet it does. Yeah. So to really appreciate this, uh, you've got to understand what happened way back when in 1998 to 1999? Yes, I remember it well. I was practicing medicine at the time. And the uh, two COX-2 inhibitor drugs, don't be impressed by the lingo, uh, Vioxx and Celebrex hit the market. And we doctors were told, this is it. These are going to be the safest, darn near no side effect drugs, and you're going to give your patients pain relief superior to any other pain relief they've had. And the safest thing, why, since a glass of water. Well, you can imagine, we doctors were seriously excited. And um, I was even paid by the American Medical Women's Association to travel around the United States and give lectures um, concerning the safe and proper use of these drugs. And after about oh, two or three lectures, I said, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore because this is not making sense to me. And in my own medical practice, when I attempted to use these drugs, 
I would have to stop them within the first week of use due to side effects. In other words, if my policy and my medical practice that if I put you on a drug and you got side effects, we stop that drug. And so I was never able to continue any COX-2 inhibitor more than one week. In fact, not even a week. And um, so I was not surprised when um, years later it turned out that there were increased um, heart events, heart attacks, even deaths into the, you know, exceeding even 100,000 by some estimates. And when you think that we have heart disease, um, heart attack as the number one cause of death in the United States, and then it's revealed that 50,000 of those deaths a year might be due to just one class of drugs, you have to scratch your head and say, wait, is this cardiovascular classification for death just a slush pile for medically caused deaths? Do you just call it a heart attack when a person dies from medical therapy? I don't know. That's open to discussion. But certainly if you subtract the number of deaths from uh, diabetics who took their insulin as prescribed, which is more or less 25,000 a year, um, the deaths from these COX-2 inhibitors, another 50,000 a year, just in the year in which these drugs were being used, then you realize, whoa, that cardiovascular death statistic is seriously inflated with people that just don't have heart disease. They have the doctor did it disease. So I digress, though. The point is, the idea that Celebrex is safe to use and as safe as naproxen or ibuprofen is, of course, stunning to those of us doctors who were back in the trenches and using these drugs and seeing um, the side effects and intolerability of these drugs. So this uh, study, which shows that Celebrex is safe, was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. I want you to know that I had to really dig, I mean dig, D-I-G, dig, to find it in the New England Journal of Medicine. Why? <laughs> because it was released to the uh, Forbes magazine, was released to the Wall Street Journal, it was released to CNN, and, and all of these uh, news outlets. And so whenever you have a study, and the first thing is that it's released to all these news outlets, uh, that is, of course, a red flag. And it's released to uh, Business Wire and um, many uh, publications. In fact, like I said, I had to dig just to find the article in the New England Journal of Medicine. So let's take a look at one of these releases to Medscape.com. As you will recall, Medscape is the authority, or one of the authorities, uh, information sources for doctors in terms of they actually let doctors know what's happening and uh, as soon as it's happening. So let's see what the Medscape uh, slant on this is. Remember, this is written to doctors and, uh, well, actually, I'm sorry, we'll see what it says on the uh, CBS News. Hmm. 
let's take a look at the CBS News. So CBS News, I think, is a pretty accurate rendition of what happened. So back in 2004, a popular drug called Vioxx was pulled off the market when studies showed daily long-term use could increase the risk of heart attack, stroke, and death. Now, just pause right here. <clears throat> Since I'm with the medical school, I can give you a little background, right? So in medical school, we were taught that this class of drugs, not so much COX-2 inhibitors, but any kind of um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories can cause <coughs> um, heart failure and heart disease due to the effects on the kidneys and the effects on the prostaglandins. So all you need to know is that negative effect on the heart is a common expected side effect of non-steroidal um, arthritis drugs. So this is back in 2004. I left practice in 2000, and these drugs were introduced, I believe, in 1999. So they were on the market, or VX on the market for a good five years. Celebrex has stayed on the market. Okay, this was one of the most important safety events, really, in recent medical history, said Dr. Nissen of the Cleveland Clinic. I'm one of the first researchers to link VIAX to the life-threatening heart side effects. Now, these people, let's not be you know, too dainty about this. These drugs were causing people to die of heart attacks. It also raised concerns about whether another similar drug, Celecoxib, marketed as Celebrex, might have similar risks. But today, Nissen and colleagues reported findings of a major 10-year study which found no such problems with Celebrex, offering reassurance to millions of patients and potentially changing the way doctors approach treating arthritis pain. For the study involving 24,000 heart patients and people at an increased risk for heart disease, the researchers compared Celebrex with the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, or NSAIDs, of naproxen, which is a lead, and ibuprofen, which is Motrin, or Advil, and found Celebrex no more dangerous to the heart than the two NSAIDs which had been prescribed for decades. Now we know, again, just from what's taught in medical school, let's not go overboard, just what's taught in medical school, that naproxen and ibuprofen both have adverse effects on the heart, just by the way. So that Celebrex is no worse than these drugs does not imply necessarily that it's safe. All it means is that it's no worse than these other dangerous drugs. And Celebrex was even safer when it came to certain side effects like serious gastrointestinal problems. Now, um, just a little background, um, Celebrex and Viax were both introduced into the market under the uh, presumption that they would result in fewer gastrointestinal bleeds. Now, gastrointestinal bleeds is a fancy term from bleeding from the stomach. And, of course, many people bleed to death from the stomach. Now, it's not mentioned here is that NSAIDs, which is naproxen, ibuprofen, and other drugs in this class, are also responsible for a fair amount of kidney failure and dialysis, just by the way. Now, the results surprised Dr. Nissen and other heart experts involved in the study, he said. And I can see why they would be surprised, because, again, I, as a doctor who was around when these drugs came out, I saw, just looking at my... Uh, patients that, one, there did not appear to be any additional benefit in terms of effective pain relief, number one, and number two, 
there seemed to be a fair amount of side effects that would arise fairly quickly. So if you're actually a doctor on the front lines who's actually used these drugs, you would be shocked by the results of this study. And Celebrex is a drug that has a very similar method of action to VX. And so the FDA was worried that Celebrex might share the same risk, said Dr. Nissen, the chairman of the Department of Heart of Cardiovascular Medicine, which is called Heart Disease, at Cleveland Clinic's Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart and Vascular Institute. There was even some evidence already pointing to it, he said. So it's like, we already had evidence. We had evidence. Fingerprints. That Celebrex did it. That Celebrex was causing heart problems. So, it was a shock then that this 10-year study showed, eh, no problem, guys, go back to sleep, it's okay, nothing to worry about. So given the fact that Celebrex and the Ox were taken by millions of Americans, Nissan said the FDA called for a clinical trial to find out whether or not Celebrex shared the same risks that led to the withdrawal of the Ox. Celebrex is in the same class of medications as the Ox called COX-2 inhibitors. And at the end of the day, we designed the trial to determine whether or not Celebrex had the same risk, he said. The trial began in 2005 and took place at more than 900 medical centers in 13 countries. It took 10 years because in order to study these kind of safety issues, you need a lot of patients. And we needed almost 1,000 sites around the world to participate. And we needed 24,000 patients in order to have enough patients to actually answer the critical scientific question. And so participants were randomly assigned to receive Celebrex, 100 milligrams twice a day, ibuprofen, 600 milligrams three times a day, or naproxen, 375 milligrams twice a day. On follow-up visits, patients with rheumatoid arthritis could bump up the dose of Celebrex to 200 milligrams twice a day, dose of ibuprofen to 800 milligrams three times a day, or the dose of naproxen to 500 milligrams twice a day to help with symptoms. Patients with osteoarthritis increase in doses of ibuprofen and naproxen, but not Celebrex were allowed. This is important. So for patients with osteoarthritis, they were not allowed to increase their Celebrex dose, even if they were not getting pain relief at the lower dose. This will obviously skew the results in favor of Celebrex for side effects. Why? Because fewer people are using the top or maximal dose of Celebrex. It's a common understanding in uh, medicine that side effects are dose-related. And so if you have a study where you artificially restrict doctors from using the higher dose of Celebrex, then the Celebrex patients as a group are going to appear to have fewer side effects than the other people, even though they may not have any, of course, pain relief. This is a huge bias, a huge bias in the trial, is that Celebrex was not used at the maximal dose in patients with osteoarthritis. All right. Patients were treated and followed up anywhere from 20 to 34 months, during which time they were monitored for bleeding from the stomach and kidney side effects. So that's what I mentioned to you, that these classes of drugs is a source of uh, dialysis and kidney failure. During the trial, 69% of the patients dropped out. Whoa, <laughs> problem over here. 70% of people under study dropped out of the trial. 
and 2.5% of the patients died. So 2.5% died in a 10-year period. <clears throat> that's a death rate that's three times the death rate for the average American, just by the way, in case anybody wants to know. Nissen, Dr. Nissen suspected there might be a mechanism that would result in Celebrex having at least a modestly higher risk of causing heart disease events compared with ibuprofen and naproxen. Now, when you have 69% of the patients in your trial dropping out, it seems to me you've pretty much invalidated the trial right there. In other words, you no longer have a, a random selection. There's just too many uh, points that were disqualified. The question, of course, is had those 69% continued in the trial, would they have developed a heart attack? For example, the same person who might drop out of an, uh, a trial might continue to take a drug at the direction of their doctor. So the 69% dropout rate is a huge uh, factor drawing into question the validity of the 39, I'm sorry, uh, 31 data points remaining, 31%. So basically you only have 31% of your beginning pool. That itself implies a degree of self-selection. Okay. 2.5% of patients died. This is a pretty high death rate. Um, we can ask ourselves, is this death rate what we would expect, say, from a similar population matched with you know, age, gender, and medical history? Um, but that's a pretty high death rate, and that's something to be uh, a little concerned about. Okay. having at least a modestly higher risk of causing heart disease events compared with ibuprofen and naproxen. His aim was to discover whether or not there was enough of an increased risk to warrant stronger warnings on the pills, or even potentially removing the drug from pharmacy shelves. Again, you have 69% of the people in the study dropping out. That's enough to conceal almost any increased risk. So if the increased risk represents, I would say, anything under 10%, of the of the affected or afflicted people represent to say 10% of the population it's conceivable that risk could be buried in the 69% that dropped out and so the doctor says I thought we're probably tilt against Celebrex that's what most people in the world thought he said referring to colleagues in cardiovascular medicine now why would the colleagues think that maybe because like me when they were in practice and when they were prescribing drugs like Celebrex and Vax, they saw right before their eyes that these patients uh, did not do well. But instead, the study confirmed its safety. And here's the headline. Everybody was wrong. Hey, you guys, don't believe what you see. Nope, nope, nope. Close your eyes. Close those ears. Everybody was wrong, including me, Dr. Nissen says. In fact, the actual rate of heart disease events with Celebrex was a little bit lower than it was for the older drugs like ibuprofen and naproxen. Well, I guess so. If you use ibuprofen and naproxen at maximal doses and you don't use Celebrex at maximal doses, that differential is going to slide things in favor of Celebrex. What if you were not allowed to increase the dose of ibuprofen or naproxen as well? Mm -hmm. So the strength of evidence was overwhelming. And again, we have a design bias right here in the study. It's an obvious, obvious bias which is one, the dropout rate, 69%, and number two, 
that the adoption study would not permit it to raise the Celebrex dose to the maximal dose. Now, there's a third bias. <coughs> the third bias is that the dosing for Celebrex was started at 50% of the maximal dose permitted on the package, whereas the dosing for ibuprofen was started at 75% of maximum, and naproxen was also started at 75% of maximum. And so you basically have uh, Celebrex being dosed at a lesser amount. So Neeson said it's important for the public to understand that the researchers were not studying the occasional use of these drugs. Instead, they focused on patients with osteoarthritis or rheumatoid arthritis who take the drugs every day to control pain. Now, again, this is almost inappropriate. Why? Because it was found with VIOX that death from cardiovascular disease occurred within the first two weeks of taking the drug. So uh, to make a drug safety trial that focused only on chronic users, not on first-time users, um, is not really examining the hazard that was observed in the actual use of the drug. So um, instead of folks in place with osteoarthritis or rheumatoarthritis who take a drug every day, this was higher, a higher dose than what people would take, say, for a headache. It was two to three times as much as people would take for a headache, joint pain, or muscle aches, he explained. Now, you know, with all due respect, <laughs> uh, having practiced medicine, I will tell you that when the doctor writes a prescription for ibuprofen, it's for 600 milligrams, which is exactly the dose in this study. Now, when you buy over-the-counter ibuprofen, it does start as low as 200 milligrams, but many people do take more than one, like two or three. So, although the package says 200 milligrams take one for a headache or for joint pain or muscle aches, that's the over-the-counter dose. So this is not true. Doctor prescribing in the office for headache or muscle pain will prescribe ibuprofen at exactly the dose in the study. I know. <laughs> I practice medicine. And so you can see this article is really getting pretty slanted here in terms of uh, its reflection of what actually happened. One of the reasons Vax and Celebrex were developed was to create drugs that would not be as hard on the digestive system as standard pain relief. So let's give you the English translation. It was to create drugs that would not cause as much bleeding from the stomach and death as standard pain relievers, which can lead to ulcers and bleeding. So Dr. Nason said it was very striking that when it came to side effects, there was about a 50% lower risk of having a serious gastrointestinal complication from Celebrex compared to ibuprofen or naproxen. And again, if you're dosing Celebrex at 50% maximum and you're, and you're dosing ibuprofen or naproxen at 100% of the maximum permissible dose, you would expect that there would be a 50% lower risk because you're dosing at 50% of maximum. It was better on gastrointestinal safety, and that does give us choices. It gives us physicians the opportunity to give a drug that is safe for the heart and possibly more safe for the stomach, he said. Now, they're saying it's safe for the heart, but again, we know that ibuprofen and naproxen are not safe for the heart. In other words, you use them with caution. 
And that's why a lot of times they'll try and maybe give Tylenol to a heart patient instead of Motrin or um, Naproxen. So it's not safe for the heart. It's maybe as safe as these other drugs in the same class. But the other drugs in the same class are not safe for the heart. They've been known to cause congestive heart failure and heart problems. And so again, this, this is a, a piece written by CBS News for the public to get them to feel comfortable accepting that Celebrex prescription from their doctor. And um, this is really unfortunate. The drug also had lower rates of kidney side effects compared to ibuprofen. Of course. Again, you're dosing it at half the maximum dose, and you're dosing ibuprofen at the maximum dose. So this comparison is maybe, um, you know, raisins to prunes, you know, the different size difference here. So the Director of Cardiac Rehab and Prevention at Johns Ochsner Heart and Vascular Institute and Professor of Medicine at Ochsner Clinical School in New Orleans told CBS News, Celebrex has always carried the baggage of being in the same COX-2 class as VX, whereas many have considered the other NSAIDs to be safer. Many studies over the years have demonstrated that Celebrex and the COX-2s are safer from GI standpoint, even though all NSAIDs have GI side effects and almost all studies suggest that NSAIDs have adverse kidney effects. Okay, so again, these drugs are all dangerous, okay? You take these drugs and, you know, pack your overnight case and get ready for dialysis. These are not uh, harmless drugs. <clears throat> Excuse me, they do have risks associated with them. So Levy, who is not involved in the study, said, while the new research confirms Celebrex has fewer gastrointestinal and kidney side effects compared with NSAIDs, the real concern that remained was regarding potential heart risk. Now, again, we're dosing Celebrex at 50% maximum dose, and we're dosing the other drugs at 100% maximum dose. And so, uh, again, as a practicing medicine doctor, I can tell you I have seen patients bleed darn near to death uh, taking Motrin 800 milligrams three times a day. That is um, that's a shocking uh, thing, and it's a powerful dose, and it's something that as a physician, you definitely don't want someone taking that every single day, day in and day out, which is, of course, what they were allowing um, in the study. <laughs> okay, although this large study was not with, was not with high-risk patients, okay, so these are not high-risk patients with advanced heart disease, and there were high dropouts. Because so in other words, these people were basically healthy. So then we can realize that this 2.5% death rate over 10 years was a bit high, because they did not have people with high risk or advanced heart disease. Still, the cardiac toxicity and survival seemed similar to even slightly better with Celebrex than with other agents. Certainly, there was nothing negative with Celebrex, said Levy, who is also associate editor and cardiovascular editor section of Mayo Clinic Proceedings. There are other pluses with Celebrex when it comes to heart patients, he added. <laughs> Celebrex, unlike other agents, does not have antiplatelet effects, so it's safer to combine with other blood thinners that can be taken perioperatively. Wait, wait, pause, pause, pause. Celebrex may not have antiplatelet effects, but Celebrex does cause gastrointestinal bleeding. Even at a lesser extent, it does cause gastrointestinal bleeding. 
And so if you're on Celebrex and um, you give someone blood thinners, then you got Celebrex opening up the blood vessel for bleeding in the stomach. And adding the thinners with it now makes it potentially as dangerous as the other drugs. In other words, it removes the protective effect of Celebrex by thinning the blood. And that the lack of mental uh, input here is stunning. And even before operation without increasing bleeding, to reduce post-operative pain and also does not block the powerful antiplatelet effects of aspirin, which is very important for many of my patients, says Levine. So it doesn't block aspirin, and it doesn't block platelets either, so it's neutral. Doses of Celebrex higher than those in the study have been shown to cause heart risk. In one previous trial, the study authors warned. So Neeson also warned against turning to opioids for pain relief. Well, you know the opioid story, right? Just to refresh your memory, opioids, which is narcotics, which is uh, morphine as an example, kill more people in the United States than heroin. And heroin is a street drug in the same family, of course. In other words, when we take uh, opium or narcotics and we put it in a pill and put a number on it so we know the dosage and train a doctor highly in how to prescribe it, it becomes more dangerous than the corresponding unlabeled, unprocessed, unapproved agent, namely heroin. Interesting. So Neeson warned against turning to opioids for pain relief. Yeah, we know that story. Who wants to who wants to die like that? So the new findings will likely influence how doctors prescribe arthritis medications to their heart patients. Unfortunately, it will. But it may take time before formal guidelines come out, said the study author. The price of the drug has fallen dramatically since generic options became available in 2014. So it's also an affordable choice. I do not think doctors are going to tilt more towards using Celebrex. I do think, because I do think that physicians are going to now tilt more towards using Celebrex. And he says, I must tell you, I was stunned by the results. I don't think there are very many people in the world who thought this, Mason said. I've been telling my patients to take naproxen for the last 10 years, and that was wrong advice. And again, we have a study clearly biased, clearly biased, in that Celebrex was dosed at half dose, whereas the other drugs were allowed to be used up to their maximum dosages. The um, design of the study was for chronic use when the um, huge heart attack risk was found for um, new onset users. So we have here um, a study that has bias intrinsic in its design that's going to result in doctors using this drug in a way that can be expected to result in, well, let's just say, a lot more deaths. And so the New England Journal of Medicine um, talks about the, uh, the study and goes into details about it and about the dosing. And so ibuprofen 600 milligrams three times a day was the starting dose of ibuprofen, when in fact 
you can start ibuprofen with 200 milligrams three times a day, and this was not done. Also, ibuprofen was allowed to go up to 800 milligrams three times a day, which is the maximum dose, whereas Celebrex started at 100 milligrams a day, half the maximum dose, and for many patients in the trial, this was not allowed to be increased. And similarly with naproxen, 375 milligrams twice a day was the starting dose, and um, 500 milligrams a day was uh, the maximum dose. And so as a doctor prescribing this stuff, you know that um, these top doses of ibuprofen, 800 milligrams three times a day, causes substantially more bleeding than um, 600 milligrams three times a day. And naproxen 500 milligrams twice a day causes substantially more bleeding than naproxen 375 milligrams. From the study, if the person had rheumatoid arthritis, um, Celebrex was allowed to be raised to the maximum dose. But if they had any other kind of arthritis, the dose was held at the minimum dose with Celebrex, but not with the others. So this is a, a seriously biased um, study. And in the um, news piece, they do say that when Celebrex is used at the higher dose, there are studies showing that the heart disease or heart attack frequency is uh, drastically increased. So what we have going on then is we have fairly biased, a fairly biased study. And again, as I said, 69% dropout rate uh, in a study would be enough to really invalidate most uh, most studies. You know, you have to redesign the study and go back to the drawing board, or at least you've got to take a look at 69% who dropped out and exactly why they dropped out. And really, that would be the study, is the 69% who dropped out, why did they drop out? And what caused them to drop out? Yeah, the primary outcome was the first occurrence of an adverse event that met the trial, like death from heart disease, death from bleeding to death, non-deadly heart attack, or non-deadly stroke. Secondary outcome, major uh, adverse heart event, included the components of the primary outcome plus coronary uh, open-heart surgery, or hospitalization for unstable angina, or a transient ischemic attack with a temporary stroke. Secondary outcome also included clinically significant gastrointestinal events. Tertiary outcomes included clinically significant kidney events, iron deficiency anemia of gastrointestinal origin, that means bleeding from the stomach, hospitalization for heart failure or hypertension, and an independent committee of specialists who were unaware of the treatment assignments reviewed and adjudicated the events. And they had a visual scale, a visual analog scale, 0 to 100, with higher scores indicating worse pain. And so the instance of death from any cause was a pre-specified tertiary outcome, other pre-specified outcomes are listed in the protocol of statistical analysis plan. And so the problem we have here is we have a 69% that dropped out, 
and we don't really have a um, analysis of these dropouts. And um, they really don't tell us why they dropped out. But that is the real study. What is it about these drugs that was so intolerable that caused them to drop out? I'll tell you, in my medical practice, in terms of using Motrin, there was not a 70% dropout rate. Uh, oh, here we are. So 68% of patients stopped taking the study drugs. That's huge. 27% of the patients discontinued follow-up. 2% died. 8% withdrew consent in writing. 7% verbally expressed unwillingness to continue. 7% were lost to follow-up details regarding patient disposition, time to study the drug discontinuation, and time to non-retention of the trial are provided. So again, the reasons, you know, these are not reasons to end the study. So the reason to end the study is to ask the patient, what symptoms did you have? And so the 27.4% who discontinued follow-up, I mean, call up the phone. Hey, what happened? And 2.5% had died. That's pretty straightforward. And the 8% who withdrew consent, ask them, why would you withdraw your consent? What's happening? What's going on? We don't have this information. So no one went back and asked, what symptoms were you having that supported your decision? And so really the only valid number we have here is the 7.2% who were lost to follow-up. In other words, they changed their address, changed their phone number, couldn't find them, that kind of thing. So this is this is basically uh, pretty pretty shaky here. So let's take a look at the major adverse events and what was the frequency. So we're measuring an event that occurs the frequency of less than one percent in a study with a seventy percent dropout rate. This is, this is shocking. So we're measuring an event that happens 1% of the time using a study with a 70% dropout rate. That's, that's, that's not any kind of study at all. Um, the error just from the dropout is, uh, is worse. Okay. That gives us 20 minutes left, and... We can do questions. Let's see. <laughs> okay. Starting over. Okay. Dr. Daniels, do you think that there could be an issue of semantics here in terms of classifying um, outcomes? Yes, I think there is an issue of semantics in terms of whether you call something in gastrointestinal bleed or iron deficiency anemia due to uh, intestinal issues because iron deficiency anemia means the person lost blood. Intestinal issues mean they have blood from their stomach. So both of these are the same thing, but to classify them separately allows you to get two smaller numbers instead of one big number. But the real issue with this study is they are measuring an outcome that occurs the frequency of 1% in a study with a dropout rate of 60 uh, Nine percent, and so that means that this study is not capable 
of measuring the outcome for which it's designed. Because the error introduced by the dropout rate is too great. So uh, that is, uh, that's a huge thing. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. So we got all the questions from the chat room. Let's check the lines here. Let's see. All right. <laughs> okay. Dr. Daniels. Do you think that we could start a freedom from pharma movement and maybe work up posters, ribbons, and bumper stickers and T-shirts? Um, you know, I think that might be, um, you know, maybe a pastime or something. But I think if people understood more about these studies, about how they're designed, then that would help people understand better uh the outcome or the interpretation of the studies and also understand that they are entitled to their own interpretation. Now, words, when you see a study that measures an incident that only happens 1% of the time and 69% of the people in the study dropped out, then you can decide for yourself that, wait, the dropouts might have had some kind of issue. What's up here? And that this is not a random study by any means because there's a lot of self-selection going on here. (laughs) Um, So I think that's really the important thing and that this is the kind of data that your doctor's medical practice is is based upon. A study where 69% drop out while measuring a 1% observational event and where the drug being measured in terms of hazardous being measured, is allowed to be used um, at half dose compared to the other drugs, and so this is, you know, this is this is something that tremendously skews the doctor's practices and not to the advantage of the patient either. And so what's going to happen then is doctors are going to use this drug uh, in cardiac patients, actually in anybody. And when they see patients drop dead from heart attack or whatever, they're going to say, oh, yeah, that's the same as it would have been if I'd used, if, if Motrin or Naproxen had been used. And that's, uh, that's really unfortunate. Yeah. So I think this is, that's the real take-home message, is that the data that, your doctor's decision-making is based on is not neutral, not objective. And it's really um, disappointing that the doctor in the study, whose own observations contradicted what the study showed, was very willing to adjust his conclusions to fit the study and to disregard his observations and his experience as a practicing doctor. 
This is in large part what's responsible for 880,000 Americans dying every year as a result of their medical care, is doctors are convinced to put aside their clear observations in favor of studies that are biased and that are non-representative of the true um, experiences of people using these drugs. (laughs) And so this is something I noticed when I was in medical practice, or actually, uh, I guess in medical practice. So I, I went to medical school, and they taught us all about these drugs, how great they were, and just all the wonderful things they did. And in medical practice, I realized that, you know, these drugs just aren't working. And so I could have said, well, you know, there's scientific evidence, there's scientific proof. I'm going to keep using these drugs um, because the scientific evidence is there and it's strong. Instead, I said, you know what, they must have done a study on somebody else's patients. I guess the study is okay for other patients, but for patients who tend to show up in my practice, this is totally not the case. Totally not the case. Um, that is, um, and I think that was a saving grace for my patients. I decided, you know, all those studies showing this stuff is safe, it must have been done on someone else's patients. So I'm going to just go with the observations I see here in my medical practice. If I see it's not working, I'm just going to have to say, hey, uh, I'm not going to use this. Those studies might be true for someone else's patients in another city, but not for mine. And I think this is why in my medical practice there's a, you know, the death rate was able to go down to zero because I was not willing to blindly apply the standard of care when I saw it was creating harm. Dr. Dados, what do you think is more damaging to the body, being overweight or a bad diet? <laughs> uh, definitely a bad diet is more damaging. Um, the latest study on weight, if you will, and again, longevity in the United States, if you look at the people in the United States who have the longest longevity, that would be the Hispanics, they, are, they also have the highest rate of uh, obesity. So there is not that correlation between normal weight or slender weight and longevity that we used to think. So I would say as far as your weight is concerned, I would look more towards how you feel. If you're feeling fine, have no aches and pains, no illness, you're able to do whatever you want, then I say don't worry about your weight. You know, if you're 10, 20, even 50 pounds overweight, as long as... Um, you're functional and you have no issues. Okay. It says... Okay. <laughs> All right. So somebody says on the on the uh, chat room, let's see, Dr. Daniels, on another show you mentioned eating ham hocks to fix your teeth. Do you have to consume the fat too or just eating the meat okay? Um, The meat is the worst part. The meat does not fix your teeth. It's the skin and it's the tendons. You can eat a little bit of the meat, but that's not really where the uh, 
where the action is. The action is in the skin and in the tendons. And so to get at this properly, you want to cook the ham hocks until they are so done that you can literally just lift the bone out and it just separates easily. Then you can let it cool, and if you're a little squeamish about the fat, you can um, eat the skin and eat the tendons. And so that would be the um, part of the meat uh, closest to the bone. Part of the meat away from the bone, you know, all you're going to get there really is protein. That's not what you're after. Uh, You're after the tendons, and the tendons are the building blocks for bone that actually make your bone uh, flexible. The bone does not crumble. So calcium makes your bones strong, but it makes them brittle. In other words, they can't take pressure. But with the uh, tendons from the ham hocks and the skin, then that gives the bone its resilience so that when you bite with your teeth, they don't crumble. Instead, they absorb the shock, and you can use your teeth, and they don't fall apart. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Dr. Daniels, I just bought Sheila Jet the other day, and I found you have to be cleaning your system with distilled water at at least several bowel movements a day because three days after starting Shilajit, I got a really bad case of frozen shoulder and frozen neck, which I've never had before. I think because I didn't do anything else. So remember, everything works together, changing the diet, cleansing the system, and building with supplements. If you just try to do one thing instead of all of them, you're probably going to have a very rough time, especially if you're adding different times to the mix. Yeah, you do have to do more than one thing. So people should definitely go to vitalitycapsules.com and get their uh, free report, the Candida Cleaner version 2.0. It has been updated. Uh, And definitely read that and follow all the steps, not just one. So, Dr. Daniels, does fried chicken skin have any value? <laughs> um, the skin does have value, and so the worst thing they could ever do to chicken is sell it in boneless, skinless form. And that has caused incredible um, malnutrition. Um, and that is a big disservice. So if you're going to eat the chicken and you're going to fry it, you should definitely eat the skin um, as well. And so does fried chicken skin have any value? Um, chicken skin does have value, but the problem you run into is with the frying, you dehydrate the skin, um, and you make the nutrients less bioavailable. And also, depending on the oil you use, you can be hydrogenating the oil in the process. So, Dr. Dance, what do you think that the shape of the bowel movement indicates where the impacted waste comes from in the intestine? Um, I think so. I've certainly noticed that in working with people. So, if you're, um, let's say you're very sick, you've been sick for decades, um, and you're cleansing your intestines, when you see a big, long, black thing come out, it's almost like a snake is what it looks like, or it looks like a, mm, a black tire inner tube for a bicycle, is uh, another thing it looks like. Usually that's coming from the small intestines. That's coming way, way up line, upstream. 
And so that's a tremendous amount of cleansing it takes usually to um, to get at that. And but that is a very good sign when you get that. Now the other thing too is that's not always the case. For example, many times when people are cleansing, um, especially in the colon and really throughout the intestinal tract, a lot of times the toxins can actually dissolve and not come out in whole pieces. And when that happens, you know, you don't have this big, dramatic, um, large piece or chunk that comes out. So it's not always possible to know uh, what part of the intestines is coming from uh, or to see it in large chunks. A lot of people feel, oh, you know, I'm not seeing all these dramatic things I read about or these pictures on the Internet. That doesn't mean that you're not getting better. If you're feeling better, you're getting better every day, then you're making progress. And you really shouldn't rate your progress based on what you see coming out, but instead rate your progress on how much better you feel each day. So if you're feeling better each day, then actually you are doing uh, very well. Now, can I ask, what do you suggest for someone who has low cholesterol but wants to start the Candida Protocol and quit the meat? Um, I don't know how a person would have low cholesterol and eat meat. That is a real head-scratcher. Um, but I don't think the cholesterol level uh, would really be, I don't think it would be relevant. So if someone is not feeling well and they are meat eaters and they want to start the Candida Protocol, it would definitely be appropriate to cut back if not stop their meats. So, Dr. Daniels, do you think it is a bad idea to buy beef without the bones? Absolutely. Um, if you eat uh, beef without bones, and I'll even go another step without the fat, then you're getting an ultra-high dose of uh, protein, and this is what's going to co- contribute to arthritis. <laughs> you know, uh, so... You, people are really be having their health totally destroyed by this practice of uh, selling meat without bones. So this whole boneless, skinless revolution has, um, I think, devastated the health of Americans, made them much more weak, much more feeble, and much more prone to um, arthritis, chronic pain, and those types of things. So if anyone's eating boneless, skinless meat, I would definitely say uh, stop it. Would you recommend using turpentine and sugar instead of antibiotics if surgery is necessary? Uh, I think you have to understand what is going on. In other words, when someone has surgery, where does the infection come from? Um, There's two places the infection comes from. One, it can come from, of course, the surgeon and his technique, the hospital. Number two, it can come from the patient's body. And the infection coming from the patient's body is the number one cause of infection. And that's why um, the concept of giving prophylactic antibiotics. So once you understand that the infection comes from your body, then that really alters your strategy dramatically. Um, and also have to understand why prophylactic antibiotics help a little bit but not much. So what's the strategy? The strategy is cut all of your fingernails back, scrape out underneath of them so there's no bacteria under your, under your fingernails, to uh, do an enema. I don't even go so far and to do an enema daily uh, for the four days before surgery. And this way it's going to clear out all the junk uh, in your intestines. 
And so that way um, the bacteria can't migrate, or less likely to migrate, from your intestines to um, the rest of your body. Also, make sure you're very well hydrated going into surgery and really scrub and clean um, your skin, all of your folds, uh, any place where um, bacteria might hide. You can even go so far as to do a neti pot, rinse out your sinuses. But what you want to do is you want to absolutely remove as much bacteria as possible from your skin um, and from your intestines. Um, and from your sinuses, and you know, definitely brush and floss your teeth as well. What a lot of people don't realize is a lot goes on in surgery. You know, the anesthesiologist puts a tube uh, down your throat, you know, cuts are made in your skin, tubes are put in, all kinds of stuff. And all of these things can be sources of infection. So all this to say is the thorough cleaning of your body inside and out is more important even than antibiotics or even turpentine. If I had to use one or the other, I definitely would use turpentine over antibiotics. But don't neglect the actual cleaning itself because that's even more important. All right, we are at the end of our show. So I'll remind people, yes, we are having a Black Friday sale. Definitely do go to vitalitycapsules.com and get your report. Version 2.0 of the Candida Cleaner. And remember, think happens. Oh,